Hello. So in case you missed it, I recently uploaded part one of what will be a three-part series on Britney's album Blackout on my YouTube channel. And on my channel, I've been doing other Britney lore videos on and off where I look at like specific topics related to Britney's career and I do little deep dives. Like the first one I did was about Britney's relationship to the LGBTQ community, and then I did one about her 2007 House of Blues tour, the M&M's tour. So I'll leave links in the show notes if you're interested in those, but obviously the mythology of Britney Spears is very important to me. And if you've been paying attention to pop culture or social media for the last few weeks, you probably already know that Britney Spears just came out with a book. Her first book, or well, I guess not really her first first book, because when she was younger, her and her mom put out these like two books that was like, one was a novel that got turned into like an ABC family movie, and then one was just like a little kind of fluffy book about their relationship as mother and daughter, because that's going so well now. But those were just like, you know, products, more or less, put out by Britney's marketing team. I honestly don't know that Britney or Lynn had very much to do with the creation of those, especially since they were released during a time where Britney was pretty busy. I don't know when she would have found the time to write a book, but whatever. So for all intents and purposes, this is Britney Spears' first book. And it's the first time we've really heard her speak at length about many things since the conservatorship was put into place in 2008. We did hear from her a little bit at the beginning of the conservatorship when MTV made this documentary for the record, uh, but that's really like the last time we heard from her. And in that documentary, actually, she said something about maybe one day I'll write a good mysterious book. And this is that book. So we have it now. It's a very big deal. Not just to me, but to anyone who's interested in, like, 2000s celebrity culture, but especially to me. So obviously, I have some thoughts, and some feelings, and some questions, as I always do with everything related to Britney. So this won't be a super in-depth or structured episode, but it is a collection of thoughts. A small collection. Now, I really didn't know what to expect from this book because there has been a pretty severe lack of promo for it to the point where Britney didn't even do a photo shoot for the cover. The picture on the cover is very clearly a photo from Britney from like, I don't know, 2003, 2004, maybe 2002, something pretty old. And to be completely honest, not the picture I would have gone with if we were gonna do an old photo shoot, but that's fine. But it is a kind of minimalist cover. It doesn't look like a whole bunch of time went into making it. It's just like a cutout photo of Britney with a black background, and then the cover just says The Woman and Me by Britney Spears, so straight to the point. No real frills at all, not a whole lot of money being put into the packaging, though some books are like special editions with pink pages, or I've seen some that have like black pages, but then on the ends it says Britney, I think. So there are a couple different versions, but that seems to only affect the literal pages, not the cover or anything. And then even outside of the physical book, there just hasn't been much promo. Britney hasn't been doing a whole lot of interviews or anything. A couple days before it came out, she did do something with People magazine, but even that was pretty small in comparison to what celebrities normally do when they have a memoir coming out. And something that I know a lot of fans were upset by is the fact that Britney did not do the audiobook. She did do, like, an intro for it, but she didn't read the vast majority of the pages. It is mostly read by Michelle Williams, who does do a very, very good job. And to be honest, 
It is almost hard to tell at some points that it's not Britney. There were a couple moments where I thought for a second, like, wait, did they get Britney just to say this one line? But I don't think that that's the case, because it would have been really, really weird, because they weren't particularly significant lines, but Michelle's voice just kind of dipped into a place that sounded so Britney-ish that you do kind of, you feel like you're hearing Britney narrate it. But yeah, Britney herself didn't do it. So I know that there has been a lot of discord with that. And I think some valid concerns about the distance between Britney and the stuff she's currently putting out. I don't endorse any sort of BNON theories, anything that's saying Britney isn't really free right now. She is. But I definitely understand why her not seeming super actively involved in this stuff coming out under her name is kind of a turnoff to people, especially because of the conservatorship and the last, like, 13 to 15 years. Because, like I said, prior to this book, we haven't gotten to hear from her in a really, really long time. Every interview she did seemed more or less scripted. That's something even interviewers complained about from time to time. Some of the things being put up on her social media seemed like they might not be coming directly from her, but maybe people on her team. And because of how Britney's conservators kept her isolated, it was very, very hard to even just get access to her, even journalists who have some things to ask her about. So I totally understand why people feel uneasy with not getting to see Britney talk about the book very much, like, physically see her. We see her tweeting about it on occasion, but we don't see, like, videos of her saying anything. And then with her not doing the audiobook, then it's like, oh, did she even really have anything to do with these words that are on this page, you know? Because there are ghost writers involved in the memoir, and that is completely, completely common and normal for a celebrity memoir like this. But with Britney, there's just that sort of extra thing of like, well, if it didn't come directly from Britney, if she didn't type it herself, which we'll never know what she did or didn't type in anything, including her Instagram captions. And if we don't see or hear her on recording endorsing some sort of work, then it's it's just kind of like, okay, well, what, what did she have to do with this? And so while I don't think the lack of promotion around this book indicates anything about her freedom or anything like that, to me it might have indicated that she wasn't super involved in this creatively, maybe just because she didn't feel like it. And that would have been a real, real bummer. So I had some reservations going into this, but after reading the book, or really like once some of the excerpts started to come out in like the week prior to the release, I, I feel fine about it. In fact, I feel like I understand more now why there isn't a photo shoot or why there hasn't been any sort of big promo thing because for me, this book is very good, but it almost functions more as like a really long, detailed public statement more than it does like a definitive look at her career. In some ways, I would say it's pretty low effort and not in a bad way at all, but in a way of like, this isn't a full retrospective kind of memoir. It's more of like, here's all the stuff that I've wanted to say for the last couple of years and haven't been able to, and here's all the stuff that's at the forefront of my mind right now. So it's like, why put all this time into the marketing for something that's not really meant to be, like, the definitive look at her life? Honestly, I feel like if I were her or on her team, I would have just even done just a black cover with just the words, the woman in me. I don't even think you need a photo of her at all on it. It's just like, here it is. Here's the stuff that I have to say. And really, I don't know why anyone would be surprised by that completely when you just think about the timeline here, because she didn't start working on this book until after the conservatorship was terminated, and that only got terminated about, like, two years ago. So I would guess that the project of the book has only lasted about, like, a year, year and a half, maybe. And that's a pretty short turnover for a book of this size in terms of, like, 
the amount of mystery that still surrounds things related to Brittany and the stuff that this book would have to kind of get into at least, and then also the amount of people who worked on it, because there really wasn't just one ghost writer. There were, I believe, two or three. There's one who's primarily credited, but then there was a different person who started working on the project. Uh, her name was Ada Calhoun, and she was like the first person to start interviewing Brittany for this, and I think wrote the first draft. And from what I was reading uh, from a, an article from the New York Times, she had completed the first draft of this book before Brittany had even gotten married to Sam Ascari, and Brittany has already gotten divorced since then, or at least separated, uh, Sam filed for divorce. So if that gives you, like, a good idea of how quickly the first draft of this was put together, then, like, you know, this was... I wouldn't say like a rushed project, but it was something that was completed on like a really, really short timeline. So it's not going to be like a complete definitive piece of work. But then after Ada made that first draft, I guess Brittany thought that it wasn't written in her voice enough. It didn't really sound like her. So then they brought on, uh, I think his name is Sam Lansky who is actually not an experienced ghostwriter. This is the first book he's ever ghostwritten, but he has done some interviews with celebrities and he's written his own memoir. So, you know, he is he's qualified for the job. But again, it's like it, it, he's not like a, a seasoned ghostwriter. So certainly that might have a little bit of a learning curve for him. And this is still being completed in such a short amount of time. And then there were some other editors and stuff that worked on it, obviously. So, like, you know, bunch of people bringing this book together in a short amount of time. It's not going to be, like, totally, totally refined. Not like it would be if this was a project that someone had been working on for, like, five years rather than one. So, for the most part, the way that this book has come together is incredibly impressive. I would say the one thing that I would have a complaint about in terms of the writing is that it does go in and out between sounding like something a ghostwriter would write, where it's it's just very matter-of-fact, it's pretty bland language, and then sounding very much like it is directly from Britney's mouth. It's a little uneven in that regard, and I think that that just comes down to the change in ghostwriters midway through, and also probably just like how passionate Britney was about the topic when talking to those writers. Because you really hear her coming out more in the moments where you can tell she's kind of pissed off about something. And I imagine it was a lot easier to capture her own language and her own way of speaking in those moments than it was when she was just relaying information. Now, I know that Brittany has said something on her Instagram about a volume two coming. She didn't specifically say a volume two of the book, but that's the way that a lot of people are taking that statement. For me, I'm not taking that statement seriously really at all. The thing about Brittany is that she is so cryptic with her language on social media all the time that I just can't assume that volume two means anything in particular. Maybe there's another book coming, maybe there's not. Some people have tried to say that perhaps volume two is an album. I, I seriously doubt that, but you know, that's a possibility. Volume 2 could also be another, like, photo shoot in her backyard with her iPhone. You just never know with Britney, so my philosophy with everything announced on Britney's Instagram is just wait and see what happens. Separately, though, there have been some other reports in the media about different places wanting to buy the rights to, like, make Britney's book into some sort of movie or TV show or something else. And if those talks are happening at all, then I think it's maybe something Britney is at least interested in pursuing, even though she has said in the past that she didn't want any sort of biopics made about her. Maybe she's changed her mind, or maybe she just wants to have control over what kind of project comes out. But I think... The volume 2 reference and the reports about 
this possibly being turned into some kind of movie. It does point to Brittany having a bigger interest now in telling her story, so that's another reason why I'm not thinking of this book as, like, the definitive look at her life. It's almost more of, like, an icebreaker. And in fact, Brittany does end the book with a, a lyric from Break the Ice, her song, so, you know, I think there's more to come from Brittany in this regard. However, having read this book... In terms of Britney's career as a pop star, I am more convinced than ever that it's gonna be a minute if she ever unretires, and I don't know that that is ever actually gonna happen. And that's very, very sad to me as a fan who likes her music, and also as someone who knows that at one point in time she really liked making that music. It, it really sucks, but I also completely understand, and I, for now, am just letting go of any sort of, like, maybe there'll be a Britney album in the near future hope that I might have had before, and even before reading the book, my, my hopes were pretty low. But I think it's clearer than ever that this bitch just needs a fucking break. She's tired. I do hope that the positive reception toward this book helps Brittany regain some confidence that she might have lost during the conservatorship, and maybe eventually that'll help her regain her place in, like, the pop industry if that's what she wants to do, but at the moment, I just don't see that in the near future. All that being said, let's talk about this actual book. I'm not gonna go through everything, but I do have some notes here of stuff that stood out to me, and I'm gonna try to go in, like, more or less chronological order. So it starts off talking about the, like, long lineage of abuse that has existed in Britney's family, specifically the abuse and trauma faced by Britney's paternal grandmother, Jamie Spears' mother who lost her infant child when it was, like, three days old, and obviously she had a long period of grief after that that was not really taken well by the men in her family. So Jamie Spears' father put his mother into an insane asylum, and mental health care isn't perfect now, but especially at that time, asylums were pretty, pretty bad places to be put in, generally not helpful, often abusive, and while in that asylum, Jamie's mother was put on a pretty heavy dose prescription of lithium. Now, all of that is very foreshadowing for the fact that later in life, when Britney starts to act up, Jamie Spears would put her into a mental health facility where she would be put on lithium. Jamie's mother eventually became so depressed that she killed herself on the grave of her infant son eight years after his death. So, a lot to read into there, a very interesting place for this entire book to start, not only because of the foreshadowing and what this says about how maybe these Spears men have historically dealt with troubled women, but also because it does go to explain some of the trauma and triggers that Jamie Spears has, because... While his mother was the primary victim in that story, Brittany does also talk about the abuse that her father faced at the hands of his father, her grandfather. And this is what I will say about Brittany's relationship with her family and with her own trauma. Brittany certainly has a lot of emotional intelligence and a lot of compassion for other people, and I think that that obviously played a big part in why so many people were able to take advantage of her for so long, because she does want to see the best in people and she does want to empathize with people. So in a way, that's a weakness-ish. I, I wouldn't say it's totally a weakness, but it is something that, like, she maybe needs to watch out for, you know, is how much is she trying to relate to people that fuck her over and how much is she trying to empathize with people that do not empathize with her. 
But I think the fact that she has that empathy is going to make it way easier for her to understand her trauma and heal from it than someone like her sister, maybe? Because it is really interesting to note the differences here between Britney's book and Jamie Lynn's book, not only in, like, the writing quality, because Jamie Lynn's book was just, like, objectively bad, but also in the way that the two of them have seemed to process their own trauma, and Britney has been processing it in a much more mature way than Jamie Lynn has. I mean, Jamie Lynn's book, all it really is, is like a collection of things that Jamie Lynn mentions as like, here's all the bad stuff that's happened to me, and this is why my sister should shut up about her own trauma. Like, how dare my sister out my family as pretty much trafficking her when she never even thought of the fact that I was a teen mom and I dealt with stuff too. And the ironic thing about it is, like, reading Jamie Lynn's book, I would agree with her that she has been through a lot of shit and she does have a lot of trauma. Where I would disagree with her, though, is in her belief that she's processed that trauma at all. I don't think she's processed it. I think she's learned to weaponize it when it's convenient for her. Like, she has enough of an understanding to know that some things that happened to her in her childhood were pretty fucked up, but then she doesn't seem to make an effort to understand exactly how fucked up it was, and she's pretty quick to, like, forgive people for their abuse of her, but forgive them in a way of like, well, but now this relationship is helpful to me, so it's fine. Yes, when I got pregnant, my parents and my management team all tried to isolate me from the entire world, which was really sad and really traumatic, but now my parents and my management team are taking my sister's money and giving some of it to me. So, you know, as long as I can come up with some explanations for why Brittany deserves that, like that time that she told me a dress I liked was for old women, then it's all fine. A lot of Jamie Lynn's ability to quote-unquote move on from the things that happened to her is literally built on what her abusers have done to Britney. I mean, she just straight up says that in her book. She says that her father becoming Britney's conservator helped her and her father heal their own broken relationship. I don't think that Jamie Lynn has the emotional intelligence to actually break the cycle of abuse in her family, but I think that Britney does, and I think that's where, honestly, a lot of the tension between Britney and Jamie Lynn comes from. There's a point in the book later where Britney's talking about the mental health facility she was being put in and how she had texted her sister about how bad it was, and her sister wrote back, Stop fighting. Just go along with it. And you know what? <laughs> Doesn't surprise me at all. I think that Jamie Lynn submitted to her own abusers a long time ago, and I think that that submission then resulted in Jamie Lynn being rewarded with Britney's shit. Like the vacation home that Britney bought and that Jamie Lynn started referring to as hers after Britney got put into the conservatorship and Jamie Lynn started, like, posting Instagram photos from that house that was not hers. So, you know, from Jamie Lynn's perspective, saying stop fighting actually is good advice because when she stopped fighting, people gave her other people's houses. And I think you can really see this difference in mindset between Brittany and Jamie Lynn when it comes to how they talk about their parents specifically. So in Jamie Lynn's book, she's often bringing up the fact that her father was an abusive alcoholic in her childhood, but she seems to place a majority of the blame for that on their mother. Like, dad was so fucked up and negligent and mean all the time, but mom let him do it, so obviously she's the real villain. Whereas Brittany 
kind of talks about having similar feelings to her mother, but then says that that wasn't okay. So here's a passage right here. She was arguing with this person who wasn't even conscious, but she wouldn't listen. I would go back to bed furious, staring daggers at the ceiling, listening to her yell, cursing her in my heart. Isn't that awful? He was the one who was drunk. He was the one whose alcoholism had made us so poor. He was the one passed out in the chair. So Brittany has an ability to actually look at the situation and look at her own feelings and be like, maybe the anger I had toward my mother wasn't really fair. And Jamie Lynn just doesn't seem to have that capacity at all. So that was one thing that I noted right out the gate. Then some other stuff with her childhood. Uh, she said she started drinking and smoking around like 13 years old. She also started driving around that time. She said her mom would let her drive. And this is just like another thing that feels so ironic when a lot of the things that Britney did around 2007 that got her kids taken away from her and then eventually got her put into the conservatorship is all stuff that doesn't seem that abnormal from her own childhood. Like her driving with her kid on her lap. Not a great thing to do, certainly not that safe, but also in that particular circumstance, Brittany did say that she was trying to get away from the paparazzi really quickly and she didn't have time to think, so there's that. But even if she had just driven down the road with her kid in her lap, it's like, yeah, okay, not good, not legal also. But I really can't say it's any more dangerous than having your 13-year-old drive your car and also letting your 13-year-old drink. And drink, by the way, in the car. Not while she was driving, but there was one point where Brittany said something about drinking white Russians in the passenger seat while her mom was driving. And I don't know what the laws were back then, but I know now, like, you can't have any sort of alcoholic drink in the car, like, opened. You can have one that's, like, sealed from the grocery store or something, but you can't just be sipping a white Russian while you drive down the road, even if you're not the one driving, and especially if you're fucking 13 years old. Like, what the fuck? So yeah, okay, Brittany maybe made some irresponsible decisions at some points when her kids were really young, but also, what fucking behavior did she have modeled to her in her own childhood? Her parents were irresponsible and negligent as fuck. Something else that gets brought up is the fact that Brittany lost her virginity at 14. So we now have confirmation Brittany was never actually celibate all those times that she said that she was. Not that we really needed her to say it. I mean, first of all, it's no one's business anyway. But also, like, come on, girl. I mean, she even says in the book later, she's like, I don't know why so many people believed that I was a virgin when me and Justin Timberlake were literally living together. And fair fucking point, but until this book, we didn't have confirmation that Britney hadn't lost her virginity to Justin. There were rumors before, especially about her losing it to her old boyfriend, Reg Jones. She doesn't name who she lost it to in this book, but I think Reg Jones would probably be a likely candidate. But the interesting thing to me here is that prior to this book, Lynn Spears came out with her own book in 2008, around the time that Britney got put into the conservatorship, which Britney has a lot to say about and we'll get to. But before the book actually came out, there were some reports, um, or I think actually maybe just one report that then... That report got reported on by other outlets, because I tried to trace this back a long time ago. There were a whole bunch of articles that came out around 2008 about Lynn Spears' book making the claim that Britney started smoking and drinking at 13 and had lost her virginity by 14. And all of those different outlets were all citing something from The Sun. And so I went and I, I found, like, the original article from The Sun. I had to use the Wayback Machine, but I did find it. And they just said, like, the standard stuff of, like, we've received reports or an insider says that Lynn Spears makes this claim in her book. And the interesting thing to me about that was I have Lynn Spears' book and that is not in it. Lynn does not say anything about Britney losing her virginity or smoking and drinking at a young age. So for a while, 
I was like, there are a couple possibilities. Number one, the sun just straight up lied. Number two, the sun got some bad information from someone. Or number three, that was actually in the book, but it got taken out before it actually was officially published. It was in just like an early draft. So I never knew what the truth was, but now that this has come out, I'm leaning toward that third option. I think that there was probably just an earlier version of Lynn's book that didn't get published. But now I need to find it. Someone somewhere, like, has to have a copy, right? I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll try to look into it. Moving on to another mystery. So Brittany starts talking about her career a little bit. And she talks about, like, the double standards that she started to notice really early on, especially with, like, the questions that Justin Timberlake and his bandmates were being asked in interviews and the questions that she was being asked in interviews and the backlash that she was getting. She was very well aware of that double standard from the very start. And she talks about this thing that MTV did that I actually, I included a clip from in my video about uh, Blackout. It was right after the 2000s VMAs where Britney performed and she did Oops, I Did It Again and uh, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. It's one of her best performances. It's one of the best just like VMA performances of all time. It's incredible. And so she went to, like, do this VMA thing or MTV thing where they played her all these different reactions from people on the street about her performance. But they weren't reactions to, like, the performance itself. It was all just to her clothes because she had, like, this sheer sort of bodysuit thing. It was meant to make her kind of look naked. And a lot of people had a problem with it at the time because, you know, she's a young girl and she's dressed kind of provocatively. So the video is just all people like slut shaming her and being like, oh, why does she dress like that? She should think more about young girls, yada, yada, yada. So obviously I've been aware of that video for a while. Uh, and I think I always thought it was terrible. And it's interesting to me to hear Brittany, Brittany talk about it because... I, it, there's so much stuff that happened to Britney in her career where it's like, what had the most impact on her? What does she even remember? And in terms of everything, I don't think I would have even thought that this moment meant that much to her. Because it was just so par for the course for how people talked about Britney. But this was pretty early on in her career, so she did talk about it like it was... Uh, she said it was the first real taste of a backlash that would last years. Now, why I bring this up as a mystery is not for anything that's written in this book, but just while we're on the topic. One of the young girls who was interviewed for that little clip reaction thing put together by MTV kind of looks and sounds like another pop star. I've seen people making jokes over the years on Twitter about this little girl being Lady Gaga. And while they are jokes, I'm not fully convinced that it's not Lady Gaga. The way that the video was produced, it's just Britney looking at a TV screen of people mostly just insulting her. But the TV is angled in a way where you can't get a clear shot of their faces. But you can see enough where I can say it does kind of look like her or what she probably looked like around 14 years old, which is how old little Stephanie Germanata would have been when this was filmed. And the voice is also pretty similar. She's just wearing those kind of clothes to get attention. And really, if she was such a great like musician or artist, she wouldn't have to wear such skimpy outfits to be like as well known and as famous. But, I mean, I understand because a lot of the celebrities just like that, so I guess if that's what she wants to do, then she, she should do it. And she lived in New York at the time where this was filmed. So, I don't know, Stephanie. I'm not convinced that it isn't you. And if it is, that's fine. I mean, yeah, she's being shady here, but it was a long time ago. Whoever that little girl in the video is, she was clearly very young, so I'm not gonna assume she still has the same viewpoints. So if it is you, Gaga, you can tell me. 
I won't be mad. Anyway, moving on, she talks about Crossroads and how she kind of started doing like method acting while she was playing that part, but she didn't mean to. She just cared so much about doing a good job that she got really, really into character without realizing it, and she felt like her personality kind of changed. I, she said something about how she, like, almost snapped out of it in an instant while she was in, like, a CVS or something. Like, she just felt herself come back to to Brittany instead of being kind of Lucy-esque, because Lucy was the, the main character in Crossroads. But then she talks about almost getting cast as the lead in The Notebook, and she said that it would have been really nice to get cast just to, like, reconnect with Ryan Gosling, but then she says but I'd have been acting like a 1940s heiress day and night. So yeah, maybe a good thing that she didn't get that part because she hadn't really worked out how to establish boundaries between herself and the characters that she was playing while she was acting. But also, it does make me really, really sad because she talks a bit in this book about some other roles that she was offered and also, like, hosting SNL twice, and she said that she was the youngest host ever to do hosting and performing, like, in the same night. And that's really cool. That's such an accomplishment. And she clearly had, like, a future in acting or in any sort of, like, kind of acting-adjacent, comedy-adjacent thing. And it really makes you realize how much potential she had to do pretty much anything, if not for the conservatorship making all of her career decisions for her. Like, maybe eventually she would have gone back into acting and did more stuff in film. She did have talent for it. Alongside the book being released, she also put Crossroads back in theaters for, like, a two-day special event thing, which, from all reports, was Britney's idea. She she wanted to do that, and I did go see it in the theater, and I hadn't watched Crossroads in a while. I, I think the movie is, like, fine. The writing could definitely use a little work, but for sure it's more than just a glamour project. It wasn't just an acting vehicle for Brittany, it was actually attempting to be, like, a real story that had real meaning and values and a perspective, something to say. And so, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, she could have done so much more if she had just been given the reins for her own career. She definitely did have things that she wanted to express, and it sucks that she did not get to do that. And then also, along with Crossroads coming back into theaters, the, I think, director, someone involved in the production of The Notebook, released her audition tape onto social media, which is really, really fun because we've been aware that that audition tape has existed for a while. It actually went on eBay a couple years ago and might have been sold, but it was sold for like a million dollars. Like when I saw the listing, I was like, oh yeah, that's a little outside of my, my price range. But it was the only copy that existed, so there was just kind of a hope that whoever bought it would buy it and then put it online, but then that never happened until now when I think the director put it online. So if someone did buy that audition tape thinking that they were going to be like the only person who ever saw Britney's audition, then that kind of sucks. You're out like a million bucks for no reason. But I'm glad that we all have this footage now because Britney really did do a good job in that audition. I still think Rachel McAdams probably the right pick just because she's Rachel McAdams. But definitely, definitely big potential for Britney in that career. She also mentions in the book almost getting a role in Chicago, but turning it down. And then she doesn't mention it, but just because I think it's such a fun fact, I would like to point out that her and Justin Timberlake almost got cast in a Grease 3 movie. It was a sequel to Grease. It was supposed to be like Danny and Sandy's kids. And that script was written in 1999. Now, it never actually got made, or at least it didn't get made as a Grease sequel. It was rewritten a little bit and came out in the like late 2000s. What was it like 2007, 2008? Under the name High School Musical. Also, another fun fact in relation to Britney and Grease, uh, the Baby One More Time video was filmed in the same high school as Grease. 
Anyway, so moving on, she talks about her relationship with Justin, and obviously she has to talk about their breakup, and this is one of the things that I've seen more outlets talking about. It's one of the bigger headlines from this book, so I don't really need to go into detail, but this does add a lot to the lore of Britney Spears. So for one thing, she mentions that Justin cheated on her multiple times. She said, there were a couple times during our relationship when I knew Justin had cheated on me, especially because I was so infatuated and so in love, I let it go, even though the tabloid seemed determined to rub it in my face. And that is one thing, by the way, that I think has really been overlooked by a lot of like popular media around the the Britney Justin debacle. He was like in tabloids a lot with rumors about him cheating on her with other women, especially one woman in particular. Her name was like Tanya. She was like touring with InSync for a while and I think was maybe even close with Justin's family. I don't really remember, but there were always rumors about that. And then as soon as Justin accused Britney of cheating on him, everyone just forgot all that shit. And also continued to forget it, like, time and time again, when Justin would be rumored to cheat on one of his other girlfriends, and then it would kind of make headlines for, like, a second and then immediately just drop off. Like, no one cared. Th those stories never stuck. However, the story of Britney cheating on Justin stuck very, very much. So much that he built a whole career off of it. And also, something else that's been pissing me off. I've seen, like, Justin Defenders on Twitter. Not a whole lot. For the most part, everyone seems to be pretty Team Britney. But a couple people being like, oh, why is she bringing him up so much in the book? And why is, why is she still talking about this relationship so many years later? And it's like, for one thing... This is the first time she's had an opportunity to talk about anything in a long time, so just shut the fuck up. This relationship obviously had a huge impact on her just personally, but also a huge impact on her her image in the the popular consciousness. So it's incredibly relevant and I wouldn't expect her to not talk about it because of how much it has affected her life. But then also Justin Timberlake has been talking about Britney Spears for years. Like, he didn't just do his little press cycle in Justified, and then after that he just shut up and never mentioned her again. Like, you can find evidence of him referencing that breakup pretty much like every other year from the time that it happened until now. And Britney is at least talking about him in a pretty nuanced and compassionate way. Like, she's not bashing him in this book if you actually read the whole thing. Her feelings toward him are pretty complicated and honestly seem to lean a little bit more positive than negative. Whereas Justin has publicly referred to her as a horrible woman, a Madonna wannabe, and just some bitch for years. So shut the fuck up. Whatever backlash that he's getting right now, he can deal with it. But whatever. Brittany then said, When InSync went to London in 2000, photographers caught him with one of the girls from All Saints in a car, but I never said anything. At the time, we'd only been together for a year. And like, girl, a year? That's, that's long enough. <laughs> like, what do you mean? You'd only been together for a year. And you didn't want to complain about him being seen with another girl. Like, oh, poor Brittany. I will never understand the hold that that ramen-noodled-haired freak had on her, but, you know, we all have our things. So after years of him probably cheating on her, she said that she did one night make out with her choreographer Wade Robson in, like, a Spanish nightclub. And she said that that was the only time that she was ever unfaithful to Justin, was just that one time that she made out with Wade. She said that she, well, she didn't say that she didn't do anything further, but it, it's kind of implied that that's all they did was just make out. And what's extra interesting to me is that she said that she told Justin about it, like, right away, and that they had seemed to move past it. So I don't know exactly what the trigger for their breakup was. And this is where, if the book had taken a little bit longer to make, if I thought that this was, like, a full project that was the definitive look at her life, then I might criticize it here and there for some sparse details. 
because I do still find the circumstances of their breakup to be a little confusing. And then some people have claimed that Britney is downplaying her cheating and said that, like, it actually wasn't just one kiss. She was having a full-blown affair with Wade. Because some people have claimed that the actual impetus for the breakup was that Justin had found this letter, this, like, 14-page letter that Britney had written to Wade breaking up with him, implying that they actually had, like, a much longer relationship than just one makeout one time. I think both things can kind of be true, it might be that Brittany and Wade only made out once, and that was the extent of their, like, physical intimacy with one another, but they could have had some sort of, like, emotional affair in a way, where Brittany felt like they were moving in a certain direction, even though she was still with Justin, and that's why she wrote that letter, just saying, like, hey, we need to stop what we're doing, we shouldn't be, like, hanging out as much, and that wouldn't necessarily mean that they were, like, sleeping together. Either way, though, I don't really care, because for one thing, Justin still probably cheated on Britney way more than once. And even if he didn't, Britney being a cheater just doesn't justify the way that he went about publicly humiliating her for so fucking long. Like, you can hate someone privately and not set them up to be a victim of misogynistic slut-shaming for years to come because of it. There's just really no excuse for how he handled that, especially when you get into some of these other details here, because the other thing that's being reported on a lot is the fact that Brittany is now alleging that Justin kind of pushed her into having an abortion. Again, the details are really sparse when it comes to the decision to have the abortion. She doesn't talk about, like, specifically what Justin said to her or what she said to him, like, how it was communicated between the two of them. So on the claim that this was a coerced abortion, I just don't think I have enough information to really say that for sure. But definitely, the way that Brittany talks about it here, it seems like it was pretty clear to Justin that this was not what she wanted to do. It was a choice that she was making for their relationship, but not her preferred option. So the loss that he is pretty much responsible for Brittany feeling during that time was likely a pretty rough experience for her. She was to some degree grieving during that time. And for him to just turn around after they broke up and be like, well, oh well, I'm gonna make this bitch public enemy number one because that is what is best for me and my career. That, to me, is, like, the most unforgivable thing, along with the fact that he also pushed her into not getting the abortion at a hospital like she wanted. He made her get it in her own, like, apartment or hotel room or house, wherever the fuck they were living at the time, where she just took, like, an abortion pill, and then she said the pain was so agonizing that she, like, sat on the bathroom floor and cried while he just, like, strummed his guitar trying to calm her down. Like, him playing her a song was somehow equivalent to medical care. All because if they went to a doctor, it was more likely for tabloids to pick up on what was happening. He was so worried about his public image that she had to physically suffer. So fuck him. But Brittany actually does come to his defense a little bit in this book in a way that I think is a little unwarranted, but it does say a lot about what she was going through at that time. So one of the big things that people have come at Justin about over the years is the fact that when they broke up during his little anti-Brittany revenge era, he revealed that she was in fact not a virgin. So here's what Brittany says about that in the book. Was I mad at being outed by him as sexually active? No. To be honest with you, I liked that Justin said that. Why did my managers work so hard to claim I was some kind of young girl virgin even into my 20s? 
Whose business was it if I'd had sex or not? The way Justin admitted to everyone that we'd had a sexual relationship broke the ice and made it so that I never had to come out myself as a non-virgin. His talking about our having had sex never bothered me at all, and I've defended him to people who criticized him for doing it. That's so rude people have said about his talking about me sexually, but I liked it. What I heard when he said that was, she's a woman, no, she's not a virgin, shut up. And that's nice that Britney feels that way, but that's definitely not how he meant it. He was definitely not trying to stick up for her and be like, no, she's a woman. He was trying to shame her. Or, at the best, he was just trying to brag about the fact that he had had sex with her. But I, I definitely don't think that his intention was to, like, free her of those shackles. But that is the effect that he had, so I guess I'm, I'm happy for Britney in that instance. But that does just say a lot about where her life was at at the time where she needed Justin to say that in order to free her, that she didn't feel like she had the agency at the time to just herself say like, no, I fucking love sex. And then she writes, I'd appreciated it when Oprah told me on her show that my sexuality was no one else's business and that when it came to virginity, you don't need a world announcement if you change your mind. And again, it sucks that... Oprah saying the most basic thing to her that someone else should have been telling her, like someone in her life, that meant so much to her because no one was doing it. And I'd really, I'd love more details about how that happened. Like, who in her management told her to say that she was a virgin? How did that decision get made? When was she told that? How did she feel at the time? What was she told the reasoning was? These are things that I would like to ask her. And then, skipping forward a bit, she apparently fucking hated the Onyx Hotel tour. She said, The Onyx Hotel tour was just rough. It was too sexual for a start. Justin had embarrassed me publicly, so my rebuttal on stage was to kind of go there a little bit, too. But it was absolutely horrible. I hated it in the moment. In fact, I hated that entire stupid tour. So much that I prayed every night. I said, God, just make my arm break. Make my leg break. Could you make something break? And like, I always knew that after Brittany did injure her knee and had to cancel the rest of the tour, that she was kind of grateful and relieved, like after the fact. I didn't know that before that, she had been praying for something like that to happen. You get these glimpses throughout the book of how trapped she felt her entire life, pretty much, where even the Dream Within a Dream tour, she talked about that as being one of her favorite tours. She might have even said it was her favorite. But then, like, at the end, she was like, I was just so fucking exhausted, and I really wanted to take a break, and somehow just wound up working more. And all of this just really seems like a big chain reaction of events, because after the Dream Within a Dream tour and feeling so exhausted and feeling like she was working too hard, she went to Vegas, she got married, she got it annulled within like 55 hours, and she doesn't talk about that with a whole lot of detail, but she does say this that I think is pretty, pretty significant. Every young person knows what it feels like to want to rebel against your family, especially if they're controlling. I now feel like I was having a very human reaction. They were putting a curious amount of pressure on me about something I thought was innocuous, and in any case, it was my own business. In fact, my family was so against the wedding that I started to think maybe I'd accidentally committed a brilliant act, because I realized something about my being under their control and not having a stronger connection to someone else had become very, very important to them. So they pressure her into getting this annulment, she does it, but then, in the same fucking year, she marries Kevin Federline. And how does she go about doing that? She gets engaged to him, and then tells her family to come to the engagement party, and actually the engagement party is the wedding. Which just feels like such a clear statement of like, you don't have control over this, I'm already doing it. Meet the new Mrs. Fetterline, bitch. So truly, her wedding to Kevin Fetterline is kind of a glorious moment in that way. Though, wish it was with someone a little better. Because then she gets into the stuff about her relationship with K-Fed and him just being, like, 
the fucking worst. I mean, she's still very nice to him. She still speaks very well of him. And she even said that, like, with her divorce, it was really hard for her when other people were talking shit about him, like, on her behalf. She was like, that's not helpful to me. He's the father of my kids. I want to have a good relationship with him. But still, the way that she describes this marriage, he's the fucking worst. And during that time, when they were having problems, we actually get our first introduction of another big, big figure in the Britney-verse, though someone who doesn't get talked about nearly as often, that being Jason Trawick, who, I guess, so she, she talks about going to, like, a video shoot that Kevin was doing and then getting kind of shut out by his security, and she went back to her hotel room, and then she said there was a knock at the door, and she writes, I answered it, and it was one of my brother's old friends, Jason Trawick. So if you don't know, Jason Trawick is another boyfriend of Britney's eventually. They won't actually get together until quite a few years after this moment. But they do get together during Britney's conservatorship. They become engaged. And he also, while they're engaged, became her co-conservator. Which is weird. It's a weird thing for a fiancé to be. She doesn't say anything really bad about him. She did say that him becoming her co-conservator did, like, change their relationship a little bit, but he comes across looking pretty good overall, despite the fact that, like, I, that is weird. That is definitely, definitely weird. But he's always existed in the, like, Britney standum as someone that no one's ever really been sure about whether or not he's, like, a villain in her story or a hero or both or neither. But I guess the consensus in this book is he's fine. And then there aren't any other like huge revelations in the book other than uh, she does say that she was on Adderall during a lot of the like breakdown era and that doesn't surprise me. We've never had any sort of confirmation about what substances she was or wasn't using at the time but Adderall makes as much sense to me as anything else and she said that that was all she was on and I, I kind of believe her. She also talked about her custody disputes with Kevin over their two sons and said, he not only wouldn't bring them back to me, he wouldn't let me see them for weeks on end. And I think that that's an important thing to note because one of the 5150s that Britney got put into in 2008 was a result of her locking herself and one of her sons in a bathroom while Kevin's security guard was coming to pick them up to take them back to Kevin's house. And she just says like, I snapped in that moment because every time I had given him my kids, I didn't know if I was going to see them again. I would say goodbye to them, and then he would keep them from me for, like, weeks. So in that moment, I just wanted to hold my son for a little bit longer. And that, that puts that entire incident into, like, a whole new context for me. I mean, I never, I never thought that her actions in that moment were a big enough deal to warrant a 5150 in the first place like it definitely it's not good to not give your kid to the security guard who's supposed to be taking it to their father if you have a custody dispute but also there was always a whole bunch of other stuff around that incident where other people and Brittany have said that like she had been told that she could stay with them for a little bit longer to say goodbye and she didn't realize that the situation was like that dire that someone was calling an ambulance and that version of events makes complete sense to me. It very much seemed like Brittany was kinda set up in that instance. And it seems like she might have been set up for the second 5152, the details of which we still really don't have. Like, it's never been clear why that 5150 ever was called in. There have been different things about, like, uh, she had been driving erratically or something, and that's that's why it was called. But, like, she had been home for a while when the when the ambulance showed up, so, like, I... I don't know that that's, like, a reason to 5150 someone. Like, is that, is that something, is that a reason you can give? Is like, I saw her driving badly earlier. Can you hospitalize her? I, I just, I don't, I don't understand. So we've, we've never had confirmation about what really led up to that second 5150. 
but the way that it's described in this book makes it seem like Lynn Spears might have had more to do with it than she let on in her own book. The way that Lynn writes about it makes it seem like it was all Sam Lutfi who was trying to get Britney, like, institutionalized for his own gain. But then some other people have come out since then and made it seem like, oh, no, actually, it was Lynn that got Britney hospitalized. And Britney's version of events in this book lean that way, that it was more Lynn. But it's also still hard to tell because the details are so sparse. And personally, I just don't trust Lynn or Sam Lutfi, so I don't know who to believe in that instance. And I think that Britney was so unsure of what was even going on at the time that I, I don't know how much she even knows about what led up to that second 5150. Like, it, it, the circumstances are just still a mystery for that one. I, I don't know what happened. And it doesn't help that Britney doesn't mention Sam Lutfi at all in this book. Now, I don't know why that is. Maybe he just isn't that significant in her life where she felt like she needed to mention him. I mean, she does say something once about, like, a friend at the door. And I, I think that that's Sam, but I don't know for sure. The other option is that because there was a restraining order taken out against him on her behalf during the conservatorship, that restraining order might still be in place, and Brittany might very well want that restraining order in place because Sam Lutfi is a weird dude. So maybe there are some legal restrictions on whether or not she can mention him. I, I don't know. But that, to me, is one of the most glaring omissions in this book, is like, okay, but what the fuck happened with you and Sam Lutfi? because Lynn Spears has made all kinds of accusations about him, like, drugging her and hiding her cell phones and uh, somehow, like, shutting off the battery to her car or something. I don't even remember everything that she said, but, like, it was pretty intense. And Brittany doesn't address any of that in the book, so I don't know what of that is true. She just kind of goes straight into, like, the conservatorship and then also talking about her mom's book tour, which this, I knew I had to read this part because it's one of my favorite favorite moments in the whole books. So she talks about how her mom wrote her little fucking book in 2008 when Britney was being put into, her, into a conservatorship. And she said, if one of my sons were going through something like that, do you think I would write a book about it? I would fall to my knees. I would do anything I could to help him get through it, to hold him, to make it better. The last thing I would do would be to cut my hair into a bob and put on a tasteful pantsuit and sit down on a morning show set across from Meredith fucking Vieira and make money off my child's misfortune. And that's like a perfect example to me of the moments that really come through as coming from Britney's voice. She also at one point mentions Sam Ingham, her court-appointed attorney, and refers to him as a weird-ass lawyer. I got a little kick out of that. But then everything from that time, it gets a little blended together. There's not like a clear timeline here. And again, a lot of stuff is omitted. She doesn't talk at all about uh, Britney Jean or the Femme Fatale album. I think maybe at one point she does mention working with Will I Am and doing like one good song. And so that's kind of a, it seems like a dig maybe at Britney Jean, but she doesn't really go into the process of making it. She doesn't, doesn't say anything about the vocals on that album, allegedly not being her. And yeah, for me, Femme Fatale is almost the biggest omission because that whole era, you could just sort of tell that she was probably being drugged. And maybe that's why she didn't talk about it. Maybe she doesn't even fucking remember that album. So we don't get a whole lot of revelations from that time. The only thing is Britney said that Robin Greenhill, who was, uh, she worked for TriStar, so she's one of, like, Lou's little minions or something, or just, like, co-conspirators, because it seems like Robin actually did have quite a lot of power. So she wasn't just, like, working at, you know, the instruction of other people. She was pretty actively involved. But apparently, Robin used to tell the men that Britney was dating about her medical and sexual history before they ever even went on a first date. Which, why? I kinda get if you're so worried about her being subject to undue influence, why you would do a background check on the men they were dating, but why do those men need to get information about her? 
That seems like protocol that only exists to embarrass her. And then the only other big thing is that she talks about that announcement for the domination residency that kind of kick-started this whole thing. I mean, the Free Britney movement has always existed in the fandom to some degree, but it's existed most of the time as, like, a lingering suspicion and, like, an uneasiness. It didn't start to really become, like, a movement movement until about really the beginning of 2019 when Britney was put into a mental health facility against her will, but the distrust of her team started to build up significantly a couple months before when she announced in Vegas that she was going to be doing another Las Vegas residency called Domination, but the announcement was so incredibly strange. I remember watching it live. It's one of my, like, most distinct memories from that time because it was just unexplainably bizarre. Like, no one even knew what was going on. She showed up on a stage, then just, like, walked down the stage, signed a couple autographs, and then just got in a car and went home. And no one knew, no one knew what was going on. No one knew if that had been the plan, like, was that just the entire announcement the whole time? Because her team is, like, fucking weird. I wouldn't put it past them to just be like, ah, just show up, we'll put up a big sign that says domination, and then that's it. Or there were theories of, like, they didn't want to give her a microphone because she was gonna say something about, about, you know, her, her situation. But then it's like, okay, well, it's not like she sings live anyway, so, you know. The microphone doesn't need to be on. You can just play music and then she performs like she normally does. So, like, why wasn't she doing that? What happened that led to that moment where she just wasn't doing anything? Was there any sort of performance planned? Like, the way that the stage was set up, it, it was just weird. The whole thing was super weird. And it was clear that, like, even the hosts of the live stream that we were watching it on, even they didn't know what the fuck was going on. So now we have a little more clarity. So this is what Brittany said. I walked down the stairs in my high heels to work, bitch, and signed a few autographs for fans, but then I did something unexpected. I walked past the cameras. I kept walking until I got into an SUV and left. I said nothing. I did not perform. If you were watching, you were probably wondering what just happened. What you didn't see was that my father and his team were trying to force me to announce the show. I'd said I didn't want to announce it because, as I'd been saying for months, I didn't want to do it. And so I've gone back and I've watched that live stream, the clip of her coming up and then just walking away. And with this new context that it it was her the whole time, she just decided like, no, I'm just, I'm going home. It is like one of the most badass things I've ever seen. Like it looks so fucking cool and it's so funny because you can tell like again the hosts of the event don't know what's going on they're all confused she's just completely walking just straight forward not even looking back it's so it's so good and all the while work bitch is just playing in the background so it gives it almost this kind of cinematic feel of like this empowering song while she just fucks over her entire team I feel like that event has now shifted from being one of the eeriest moments in Britney's career to being one of the greatest. So I'm going to leave it at that because while I definitely do have way more thoughts on this book and uh, pretty much every single page in it, Britney is definitely not done telling her story. So I'm going to keep my commentary on it um, as minimal as I could possibly manage and just wait for more stuff to come out. Especially because there actually is a lot of, like, legal shit happening right now with the conservatorship, so I feel like we're gonna be getting more information throughout these, like, next couple months about, um, about what's happening with that and any sort of investigation and maybe, maybe some sort of criminal charges or lawsuits or what have you. We're definitely, definitely not done talking about this saga. I just... I just want Brittany to be the main one talking about it from now on. So that's all I have to say for now. Bye.